Now, if you would join me on the back of your bulletins or in your Bible, this morning's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. Philippians 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for this time and pray that as we sit here and as we worship you, God, that in our hearts we would be focused on you and that you would soften our hearts to learn whatever it is you have to teach us and that we would worship you in that knowledge and that we would go out from here to be obedient and to, Jesus, be focused on your grace and the work that you're doing and the power of your word. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, just a couple of quick follow-up um, announcements related to the children. Uh, the Sunday after Easter, we have our, uh, what's called a live scan person coming to the property to do um, background checks on all of the youth volunteers. Um, so if you're a youth volunteer, make sure you check in with Aubrey so that you are on the list to um, have the background check. So anyone in our church that works with children uh, is required to have a background check. Just like Little League Baseball, school teachers, anyone that uh, works with kids uh, should have that done. So one really quick story that I started laughing when Joel was showing pictures about uh, the, the shed where the kids are meeting. When we first started meeting on this property, um, there were far fewer kids, and we had a, I think it was a 20 by 20 kind of like pop-up tent, and, um, and that's where we met, and it was quite delightful, as you can imagine. I think Karen and Laura spent most of their Sundays there with the kids, but one morning I came to the church property, and it was just gone. And I was like, well, like who's going to steal a, a 20 by 20 like pop-up tent? Like, I, I, it was really weird. And so I keep walking and look, get closer. And the night before, we had had Santa Ana winds. And it was like 30 feet up in the tree. And, and that, that's, wh that's where it was. And so um, um, we've, we've 
continue to try to make some improvements and we did the uh, 10 by 12 shed for a little while and then uh, now we've outgrown that. So basically the plan is we're going to try to duplicate um, what we've already done here but up on the hill. Now I'm guessing that probably about 90% of you have never even been up on the hill. So you are invited to uh, walk up there where the high school kids meet and check it out. And um, thank you to uh, you know, Jesse and Amanda and Brent and, and others who have been investing in the middle school and high school kids for a long time. So um, it's really important that we put uh, a healthy focus on our children, that we provide a place for our kids to, to grow and to, to feel safe and, and, and learn about God's word and about the Bible. So that's uh, the latest on that. Come, out, come on out May 19th, and um, we'll have a good night, a good evening together. We're studying the book of Philippians, and we're almost done. And um, I was reading this week about how do we measure success in life? How do most people measure success in life? And most people measure it in relation to achievements, to what you achieve in life, whether it's a, a degree or a job or a salary or things you can accomplish. And I think the Apostle Paul says this, and I know he, know he says this. He says that, he repeats this twice, that he encourages us as followers of his son Jesus to stand firm in life, that we can measure success in life not by just the things that we accomplish, Although accomplishing things in life is an important part of life and it's valuable, it's not how we ultimately define success in life. And to better understand success in life by being faithful to Jesus, by being consistent and faithful in our commitment to him is a better way of measuring success. Joel read this morning and one of the things that we want to do when we study the Bible is we want to step back in time for just a moment and try to understand the context. We don't want to just take the Bible out of context and apply it to our lives. We want to understand what's happening. And so the context of this letter in, in this part of chapter 4 is that the Philippians, these people living in Philippi, they're facing some things. And one of the things that they're facing is that they're facing a time of conflict. We read this morning that there were two women in the church that they could not get along, that it had become public, and that it required a third person to intervene in this situation. And so the Bible is always very realistic because all of us have times of conflict. All of us have times where relationships don't go the way we want them to go. So it was a time of conflict. It was also a time of anxiety that there were pressures in life, there were uncertainties, they were facing pressures that was causing stress and anxiety. And both of those things, conflict and anxiety, are things that we can all relate to that here the, this morning. The last two Sundays, we talked about a solution for those things. And so for just a moment, I'm going to review and see if you've been able to apply anything we talked about last Sunday. So I think we have it, Russell, verses six and seven. A time of anxiety, a time of conflict. Paul says this, that the solution to anxiety and conflict is prayer. And let me put it this way. Effective prayer requires discipline. 
Effective prayer requires discipline. That means you have the ability to do something even though you don't feel like doing it because you know it's good and it's right and it's true. How are you doing in your life in the area of prayer? Do you have a habit? Do you have a discipline? Are you learning that? Are you growing? Because if you don't, according to Paul, our life will be continually filled with anxiety. So we talked about this last week. We said that the the key word is the bridge word, and. On one side of and is this anxiousness, is stress. On the other side of the word and is the peace of God. And so we said that the way you cross over from anxiety to the peace of God is through prayer. And we said that prayer is talking to Jesus about things on your mind. Supplication is a willingness to admit your need. We said thanksgiving has to do with a heart that that sees the blessings of God as a good thing in our life. And then we said, be specific in the things that you're asking for um, help with in your life. And one of the things I said last week is I encourage you to get on your knees and pray. Did anyone do that last week? I met with a friend of mine this week and uh, we got together and just kind of caught up on life for a few moments, and then we prayed, and, and we both got on our knees together and prayed. And there is something valuable in doing that. And for me, it, it connected with the word supplication, and it, it put me in a posture of need. And it's a recognition that you need God's help in your life, that there are situations in life where you need God's help. And in this specific context, it had to do with parenting. So that's number one. Number one, that conflict and anxiety are part of life. And that prayer, the discipline of that is valuable. We didn't talk about this last week, and I'm going to be brief just for sake of time this morning. But the next solution, the part of this that he talks about is verse 8. And it has to do with the discipline of your mind. What do you think about? What is it that occupies your mind? If I were to ask you, how many of you believe everything you read on the internet? Right? We would all say, well, I believe a small percentage of it or a certain percentage of it. A large amount of it is untrue. And if I were to ask you, do you believe the word of God is true? And if I were to ask you, what do you spend most of your time reading? things that aren't true, things that aren't good, things that are hyperbole, things that attack people, things that are gossip, things that are hurtful, things that are exaggerations, things that are outright deceptions. Paul says this, discipline your mind, have some maturity, grow in your life, discipline and habits of this, of thinking about things that are true, If we just read this list and and then we think about the world we live in, what is true, honorable, just, pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It takes discipline to train yourself and your mind to not have the world shape the way you think. 
And this is just a valuable insight that the Apostle Paul is sharing with us about how to live life, <clears throat> about how to grow and have maturity in your life. And to know that if we spend our time absorbing things, taking in things that are the antithesis of this, is it going to lead to more stress and anxiety? Is it going to lead to more conflicts in our relationships? So, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of thinking, of filling your mind on things that are good and right and true. <clears throat> the last thing that Paul is going to teach us uh, in this section is that contentment is a necessary habit also. That the habit of being content, the habit of training yourself, of teaching yourself to be content in life is valuable. So what is contentment? Contentment is this. We might have, and I think I, I might have texted to Russell, is it an internal delight in God that comes from putting your trust in God alone and not the circumstances of life. That there is a joy, that there is an internal happiness that comes from God alone and not the ups and downs of life. Let me give you a, a passage from Jeremiah that explains this. It's Jeremiah 17. This is a, a, a Bible verse definition of contentment. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think that's kind of the kind of life that we all want. And Paul is going to say in verses 10 through 13, he's going to talk about this contentment. So let's focus our attention here for just a moment on this. Paul says this. He's in jail in Rome, and he writes, I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now... At length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul is talking about his need for help. He's in jail, and he needs financial support and help from the community of believers. And then he writes this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I, for I have learned to be in whatever situation. <laughs> Sorry. If I'm going to read it accurately, I have to see the letters. <laughs> Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so... Let's spend our, our attention for a few minutes on this idea of contentment and, and what it is and why is it necessary. So let's think about it this way. What is the damaging effect of not learning contentment? What if we just come this morning and say, hey, Brian gave a nice cute little talk on contentment and uh, let's just go on our way. What is the damaging effect on your life if you ignore contentment. One reason, one thing, and then I'll explain it. You will always want more. You will spend your whole life wanting more. You will never be satisfied. 
you will continually and endlessly look for more. And what is the danger of that? What impact does that have on your life? Let me just show you just a few different places from um, different places in Scripture. The impact on your life of always wanting more, of not being content with what you have, okay? Number one is this. The number one impact on your life of always wanting more is fatigue, that you're just tired, okay? Proverbs 23, 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. I read a, a story from uh, Tolstoy, uh, a summary of it. Uh, he wrote a short story in 1886, and he tells a story about a farmer who really wanted to expand his property. And there was a neighbor that, and I'm just giving you the summary of it. There's a neighbor um, that had this huge farm, and he said, I'm gonna, I'll sell you a portion of it at a really good price. But here's the condition. Take a hoe with you, and you have from sunup to sundown to walk the property, and you make a mark in the ground with your hoe. And however much property you make a mark, that's your land. So the guy says, wow, that's a great idea. So as the story goes, he decides, I want to expand my farm. I want a really large farm. So what does he do? He sprints the whole day. And at the end of the day, he dies of a heart attack. (laughs) He wasn't content. Always wanting more. Fatigue. If we think about this for a second, think about how much time we spend exhausting ourselves trying to get more. Proverbs says, not very kindly, maybe not very tactfully, that you're a fool. That if you exhaust yourself, if you spend your life trying to make money so you can acquire more stuff. So number one, one danger of ignoring contentment is you'll be continually tired. Number two, it's expensive. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes chapter five says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings the happiness. This is great. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I did not lose any sleep last night worrying about my yacht. I slept great because I don't have a yacht. I don't have to pay insurance on my yacht. I don't have to pay my deckhands. Think about this for a second. We know this to be true. And I don't mean to make light of this at all because we all just went through a fire and I know many people lost everything. And I, our family just lost a few things. And it's interesting to think about acquiring more things and now you have insurance on these things and paying for maintenance and it just doesn't stop. We have to be very careful about our desire for more things. If we ignore contentment, if we ignore the value of it, life is exhausting, life is expensive and we forget 
this, that God promises to meet your needs, but he does not promise to meet your greeds, according to Rick Warren. God is not obligated to give you whatever you want. He promises to take care of you. Number three, anxiety. This word again that keeps reoccurring. The more things you own, the more you have to worry about. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 12. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. We get preoccupied and concerned with things. It's true. About three months ago, I bought a new mountain bike. And, I, and before that, I had a very old mountain bike. And I didn't care who, the boys could ride it, do whatever. And then you get something new, and it's expensive. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can even, like, be near it because they might knock it over. And we worry about things. Think about what these things add up to. Fatigue, expensive lifestyles, anxiety. What do those things lead to? They lead to conflict. Proverbs 15 verse 27 says this. Greed brings grief to the whole family. We've all experienced this. Somebody passes away and there's an inheritance and then here comes the family fight. First Timothy chapter six, verse nine, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. There's potential for conflict. So the question we asked was this, what is the damaging effect of not learning to be content? You always want more. And when you always want more, that's going to lead to a lifestyle of being tired, of costing a lot of money, of anxiety, and then it leads to conflict within relationships. Study after study after study shows that either the leading cause or one of the leading causes of divorce is fighting over money, over finances. It destroys families, creates tensions within churches, within communities, within neighborhoods because we're never content. So Paul is encouraging us to think through carefully the importance of contentment. Doesn't it sound delightful to live a life that's consistently marked by being tired, expensive, worrying about things, anxiety, and conflict? That's a great life. Paul says there's an alternative, there's another way to live, and it has to do with this word contentment. So let's learn about it and see the value of it, and I think it's even more meaning to it than maybe we first understand. So here's what he says. Paul says this, that he's had moments in his life where he basically has no food, and he's has moments in his life where he has lots of money. He's had both. How do I learn to be content? How do I learn to live this life where my ultimate trust and my joy comes from Jesus Christ, not from poverty, not from extreme wealth, not from uh, living in anxiety because, you have, you're, because you're poor? He says there's a way to live 
All right, so just here's three observations that we'll make about contentment that I believe can help us. Number one, how do I then learn, how do I learn how to be content? Number one, Paul says this, it is a secret. He says this, that I have learned the secret. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means this, that most people are not content in life. Most people are tired, stressed out, and live with continual conflicts. That's how most people live. Secrets are something we want. We want to learn. We want to understand. Paul says this, by nature, human nature is not content. We want more. We want new things, better things, change things. By nature, our desires can run out of control. We learn in the Bible that God has given us desires, and our desires are a good thing. But what we have to be aware of is that our good desires can easily run out of control. So Paul says this. It's a secret, which means this. Here's that word discipline again. You have to work at it. It doesn't come easily. What are you willing to work at in your life? If you work at things that are easy, that just come naturally to you, it often leads to a life of immaturity. And people just, we get stuck in immaturity. So Paul is, he's teaching us. And this word learn has come up a few times. So be willing to learn something. Be willing to have discipline and growth in your life. Be willing to be content. That's number one. Number two is this. How do we get this? This is where it gets a little bit more personal. Number two is stop comparing your life to others. Stop comparing. Watch. I'll save you a a meeting with your therapist this week. (laughs) Stop comparing your life to others. All of this misery and unhappiness that happens in our lives comes from comparing our lives to others. There was a Bob Newhart comedy show. This is from the 1970s, and and, uh, he's pretending to be a therapist. And the woman comes in and and sharing all these deep personal things, and and she's looking for help. And it's it's just a joke, but he he says to her, well, well, stop it. But you don't understand um, all these problems. And he's like, well, here's something to help you. Stop doing that. Just stop. Then your problems are going to go away. So stop doing something that we all do. It's the great American pastime, right? It used to be called baseball, but now it's comparing my life to others. You will never have contentment in your life if you continually compare your life to other people. And we all do it. I do it. As I was studying last night in my office and I started closing down my little tabs on my browser, I cl- one of them that I closed down was BoatTrader.com. And I started kind of laughing at myself <laughs> because I'm, look, it's just easy. And we all have our things and they're different for everybody. But here's some important things we need to understand. Number one is this, 
Everyone here is different. Every one of us, we have different DNA, different parents, different childhoods, different bank accounts, different jobs. We're all very different. And to learn to stop comparing your life to others is a key part of contentment. Well, what do we compare our lives to? Houses, cars, husbands, wives, children, pets, boyfriends, girlfriends. It just goes on and on and on and on. We go to a friend's house. They have a nice new TV. What do we want? A nice new TV. Just remember that so many people have massive credit card debts to buy all these things that you want. Make a choice on how you live your life. Here's what Rick Warren said. I, I read a little bit of him this week. He said this. This is very simple and will help you a lot. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire other people. Be kind and gracious to other people and admire the good things that God has given to them. It doesn't mean you get it. Maybe somebody else has a great job and they make a lot more money than you. Just admire them and, 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 and say, hey, God's blessings to you. You just might not get it. And you've got to learn to be okay with that. It runs deep in our hearts to compare, to envy, to covet. This is why back in the very beginning part of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 20, when God is writing to the nation of Israel and he's instructing them on how to live their lives, here's what he says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now what's interesting about this is right next to this is thou shalt not murder. Right in this little vicinity of these rules are like how do human beings get along, right? The first four are how do we interact with God and then the next six are about how do we interact with one another? So of all the things that you would put on like what are some of the most important things in life? God believes this is that we must not covet one another. What does it mean to covet? It means an out-of-control desire. Remember that desires are not a bad thing. The desire to achieve things in life, the desire to get married, the desire to have kids, to have a job, the desire to make money, all of those things are good. What happens, though, and when it becomes a problem is when those desires are out of control. And it's a desire to possess something. to possess something that doesn't belong to you. Think of coveting as a deadly virus that's within all of us. And it's lying dormant, waiting for that little opportunity to show itself. Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 12 that approaches this topic of desires and, and coveting. Here's what he says. Someone in the crowd says to him, 
teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right, here's the inheritance again. All the way back in Jesus' day, human nature doesn't change, but Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care. Will we listen to the words of Jesus? Will will we be on guard against this? Because it's true, it happens with us. We see somebody else's family, we think their kids are perfect, you don't know the problems they're facing. You see somebody else's marriage, you think their marriage is all perfect and great, you have no idea. The problem with my job is that I do know because people come to me and tell me. (laughs) And I want you to know that everyone has struggles with their families, with their kids, with their pets, all sorts of things. And so this illusion that you think somebody else's family has it all together is only that, it's an illusion. So Jesus is warning us because life does not consist in the abundance of what you possess. So this is, a, this is something significant, the idea of learning to be content. Will you be content with what you have? So number one is this, you have to learn it. It doesn't come natural to you. Number two is stop comparing your life to others. And then number three, enjoy what God has given you without worshiping what he has given you. God wants you to enjoy what you have. He wants you to enjoy your life. He just doesn't want those things that he has given to you to ever take the place of him. That's why it's really interesting. If you think about the Ten Commandments, the first commandment and the last are almost identical. Because when the last commandment says don't covet, that means your, your desire for that thing is taking the place of God. Enjoy what God has given you without allowing it to take the place of him. Think of it this way. Let me give you an example of a meal. If I were to invite you over to my home and we said, hey, come on over, we're going to have dinner, and I um, offer you as the main course a piece of blueberry pie and ice cream. And then after we eat that, I bring out some brownies and ice cream. Most of you, (laughs) I'm hoping, would have a problem with that. That dessert is meant to be enjoyed but a dessert is only truly enjoyed after a nice meal. And a nice meal is the picture of God in your life. That God is to always be first in your life and you are to first to enjoy him. But there's also a dessert part of life. You're to enjoy your family, to enjoy your husband, enjoy your wife, enjoy your kids, enjoy your job, enjoy where you live. That life is not to be miserable and tortuous, but never allow the things that God has given you to take the place of worship. I was thinking this morning about things that God gives us just for the pure enjoyment. And one of the things that came to my mind first was music. What is the purpose of music? 
Do we need it to function and live like we need shelter and food and water? We don't. Music is to be enjoyed. There are so many things in life that God gives us to enjoy. There are so many things in life that are free to enjoy. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't compare your life to others. Learn to be content. Learn to find your first happiness and love and joy in life through Jesus Christ. But also enjoy the things he has given you. Think about where we live and how many things we can do for either free or relatively cheap. We have the beach, we have the mountains, we have friends, we have family. You can enjoy your life quite easily where we live. There are two ways to resolve the issue of you not having enough. Because this is one of the things that we wrestle with. We just feel like we just don't have enough. One of them's easier and one of them's hard. Rick Warren says this, there are two ways to resolve the issue of not having enough. You can work more and make more money or you can want less. You can want less. Do you know, think about how hard it is to want less. It is our human nature to work more, to buy more. It is much more difficult to want less and to be happy with what you have, to be happy with the material things you have, to be happy and content with the family that God has given you to be happy and content and see the beauty of where we live. And the alternative is this, is complaining, criticizing, attacking, seeing the problems that people do, seeing the things that people don't do, always looking for the mistakes, identifying problems. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, I think, do we have that, Russell? says this, As for the rich in this present age, and we'll stop there. I know I've said this before, but that's all of us, right? That's all of us here. If you've uh, bought something at Starbucks this week, then you're you're probably classified in in the world stage of, of that's us, all right? He says, Paul says this, charge them to not be prideful, to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, this is contentment. This is, this is the, where the battle lies right here. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do we believe that? This is, this is the good news of the Christian life. But be careful. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The discipline of contentment must be learned because the alternative is a lifestyle of being exhausted, of anxiety, of continually spending our money just to upkeep our lifestyle, just to maintain our lifestyle. And those things lead to conflict. The alternative is to find your love and enjoyment in Christ to find your love and enjoyment in the things that he has given you. When we think about it for a moment, I hope you can see the beauty 
of the things that God has given you, the beauty of all the families here, the beauty of the children, the beauty of the marriages, and there are struggles, we all know that, the beauty of the friendships that we have. I sometimes am concerned about being stuck in immaturity and always being negative and complaining and finding problems and we're missing the beauty that's right in front of us. The beauty of enjoying Jesus Christ, the beauty of enjoying the things that he has given to us. But like any good thing in life requires habits of discipline. As we finish up this last little part of Philippians, I encourage you to grow, to develop the habit of an active prayerful life of allowing the Holy Spirit to to work in your life, to allowing your mind to be shaped by scripture and not by the world, to growing in contentment. And I think one of the things that's interesting that we must understand, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because Paul is writing this as a Bible scholar. So it's not just Bible knowledge alone, it's the role of the Holy Spirit changing your heart conforming it to the word of God that comes through the habit of discipline. Here's the takeaway. As you learn and think about contentment, show your love, show your appreciation, show kindness to people in your family that you love. Be happy with them. Be joyful with the children that God has given you. Don't compare your kids to other kids. God has given your kids to you to love, to cherish, to hold on to. Don't compare your spouse to anyone else. God has given you that spouse to love, to honor, to respect, to enjoy. I'll finish with this. Verse nine says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So Paul says this, I'm writing this letter to you. I'm teaching you these things. Now practice them. Do them. And then he says this, the God of peace will be with you. That's the promise. The God of peace will be with you as you grow in prayer, in your thinking, and in your contentment. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts to the truth and and the beauty of the life that you want to give us. Father, I pray you'd grow us up into maturity, into contentment, to see the beauty of being satisfied in you, to see the beauty of being satisfied in the things you've given us and not always wanting more. Father, I pray you'd help guard our hearts against comparing our lives to other people to be content with with what you've given us. We're grateful to you. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.